Hey there, this is Jessica Stewart, and you are listening to Finding Your Calm with Your Teenager, episode number 19. Anyone out there have trouble remaining calm when dealing with your teenager? I do, and I did, still do a lot of the time, and that's what this podcast is about. I truly believe that if you can remain calm with your teenager, you can pretty much remain calm in any situation. So listen in for my tips and really practical advice for how to do this in your own life. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, I'm so glad you've joined me. And if you're returning from listening to other episodes, Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to what I have to say. I so appreciate it. And my goal and my mission with these podcasts is always to leave you feeling better as a parent, alleviate some of the burden, leave you feeling like there is a community around you that understands what you're going through as far as raising your teenagers and that it is challenging and just to know that whatever you are going through with your teenager right now, please remember that others are going through it as well at the same time. And sometimes just knowing that fact, just like you, somebody else is experiencing the challenges of raising a teenager can help to make you feel not so alone. So I just want to offer that to you right off the bat. And the first thing I want to say and what I want to talk about today is about teenagers' mental health and what I believe is the best way to help your teenagers' mental health. And I have said this in other podcasts, but what I really believe is The best way is to manage our own mental health as parents and to really pay attention to our mental well-being because this is the best way to support anybody else's well-being that we come into contact with. So the best definition that I've found or one that I really just looked up with regards to mental health, and I like to think of it as mental well being, is mental health is a state of mental well being that enables people to cope with the stresses of life, realize their abilities, learn well and work well, and contribute to their community. And sometimes I think when we talk about mental health, people start to just stigmatize it immediately. And think, well, I'm, I'm okay. Like as soon as we get into talking about mental health, we're like thinking, no, that's, that's not me. Like we think, oh, that's, that's mental and that's crazy. And we don't want anybody to think that we're thinking about our mental health and taking care of it, or that we're struggling with our mental health and well-being. And it's taken me a long time to realize and accept this, but I've struggled with kind of generalized anxiety over the course of my life, a lot of ruminating thoughts, a lot of worry, and all this feeling, all these feelings have led me to really 
focus in on my own mental health and well-being. And I believe that this has had the greatest impact on the relationships around me. So me focusing on what I can do to support my own mental health has, has had the greatest impact on others in my life. And this is similar to saying the thing that we talk about in when somebody's on an airplane is like putting your own oxygen mask on first. And what I find is when people say this, then others are like, yeah, not, no, not really. Like they, they intellectually understand it, but you think I, I no, I have to fix the other people. I have to do that first. And you literally need to support yourself in order to be able to help others. Another analogy that I've used in a previous podcast is like when you go into a situation where you need to provide emergency first aid. And if you are going to run out into the middle of the road where there's, there's cars coming out and they're going to hit you, you're going to take yourself out right away. And so we need to really look at this idea of supporting our own mental health and seeing that as a support that we're able to manage things that come up and are able to support the mental health of our teenagers. And the other thing that I want to point out is that teenagers are there, our teens, our kids, the people in our lives are watching us and are watching how we deal with our own particular circumstances. So if we have a good handle on our emotions and we are okay with all of our emotions and our emotional well-being, and if we're taking that time to understand what's going on with us and allow all of the emotions, not just the good ones and not just saying that we always have to be happy, but the other ones as well. Like if we're angry about something at work and we're able to name that we're angry about it, and discuss that. And if we're sad about something that's going on in the world, then we're able to discuss that and our teenagers can see how we're handling that. And whether we truly believe it or not, they are taking it in. And they're seeing that if there's something that comes up that's challenging for us, so if there's grief or sadness or anxiety or nervousness about something, they're seeing us as actual human beings with feelings and emotions. And they're seeing that we're okay with our own emotions and we're not afraid of them. And it's a space where we allow that to be there. Then our teenagers can also feel like, okay, if my parents think this is okay to experience this feeling and that it's okay, and they have the ability to manage their own emotions, then they will also have the capacity to know that it's okay with, uh, with us as parents or caregivers, that they can bring their emotions to us without us freaking out or making it mean like something is wrong with them. Because really in the human experience, these things come up and because we're so afraid of dealing with mental health or not knowing the right thing to say or, um, you know, just not being comfortable with the uncomfortable and negative emotions and feelings of others, then that is seen as kind of shutting down that communication or that openness regarding emotions. So I really just want to bring that 
to the forefront as, as my belief. And what I will tell you just for some context, and this is going to be a very sort of gendered thing that I'm going to say, but typically it's been not okay for men to feel their emotions. And typically it's not been okay for boys to feel their emotions. Like they're given that message of don't, you know, suck it up. Don't cry. Like my family. So my husband is not a person who listens to podcasts about self-help or anything. He will not read a self-help book. There's no way, no how. And my sons also are very much in the sports world where there has been a lot of just, you know, suck it up. Don't, don't have your feelings like just shake it off and move on. Don't, don't talk about anything. And so they're, they're, they've been shown that. And my husband is not very much a person who displays his emotions very plainly either. However, what I have found is that by me feeling my emotions and sharing that with everybody about what I'm actually feeling and going through, they have been able to see that and have been able to become people who do also recognize their own feelings and their emotions. And not because of anything like stellar that I've done or said to them, really. It's just that they have a language for it. And it's not come about any particular conversation I've had with them. It's just that when things come up for me, I have been very open to sharing, like, this is how I'm feeling. Um, And not being afraid of them seeing me sort of in a vulnerable state. Because I don't know how else to be. Like, and I don't think that that's, I'm not, Please believe me, I'm not trying to say, oh, I did this right. It's just that from the time that I've been very young, I can't, I don't really have the ability to like push my emotions away or like push them down or hold them down and not, and not really, um, bring them up and acknowledge how I'm feeling. Like, it's almost like I physically can't move forward unless, unless I process how I'm feeling. Like I can't almost put what I'm feeling in a box. If I'm angry about something, if I'm sad about something, I have a really hard time naturally like putting it away and not feeling it. So maybe this is in some way just kind of luck, I guess, that I've been able to share that with the people who are around me. Like pretty much what I'm feeling in my body shows up on my face. And I'm not going to say that it's anything in particular that I've done, but, but this has allowed a vocabulary of feelings or emotions to be allowed to be shared with my uh, children and with my husband as well. And this then really makes it okay for the feelings to come up. Now, some people may look at this and a lot of people do look at this as kind of woo woo and you know, Oh, we're going to start crying all the time. And, and we're going to, um, you know, just not be able to get out of it. If we visit those, those emotions of sadness or grief or anything that we're 
feeling in that moment, we're not going to be able to get out of it. And we are very much in a world that likes to point us always towards being happy and just move on and get out of it. And that really makes sense because generally speaking, when you go throughout your day and you're dealing with people, it's so much easier to deal with people when they're just happy, things are going well. You ask them, oh, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm good. And then when we ask somebody how they're doing and they're struggling, it's like, oh, wait a second. Now I have to manage this or I have to deal with it or I have to figure out how to make it better. And this isn't necessarily true. You don't have to make things better for people. And this is kind of where the point of all this comes down is when people bring up the thing, like if somebody brings me some challenge with what what's happening in their day or their mental health or something that I can't fix because we love to fix things, then we often are pretty convinced that we need to figure out an answer. And if you ask anybody in a marriage or any sort of relationship, not necessarily even in a marriage or just any kind of relationship, by nature, I think that human beings like to be able to fix things. We like to be able just to swoop in and say, okay, well, here's the, here's the issue. So if you just go into somebody and you tell them a problem, their first thing is not going to be to ask you, how do you feel about that? Like what's going on for you? What do you think the answer is? The first thing that people usually do is they try to come up with a solution and try to fix it for you because that's, that's what we like to do. We just like things to be okay. We like to be able to go to our minds for an answer and search for the solution that will fix it. And oftentimes the things that people come to us with, with negative, so-called negative emotions, more challenging emotions, let's call them. So sadness, grief, like if somebody's lost somebody, if somebody's lost a job, there's a lot of these, a lot of the times these things are not fixable. We can't just say something to them and have it all be better but that is what we want to do. So if you think about maybe going to the visitation at a funeral and you think about what you need to say to somebody to make it better, you can't make it better, but you can show up and you can just allow people to feel how they're going to feel and let them feel it. And quite honestly, you don't really have a choice because people are going to feel the way they feel And it's a lot easier for you not to resist this and not to have to think to yourself, well, I have to come up with the words to make it all better. So this is my case and my argument for allowing feelings and allowing emotions to be there without fixing them as actually less work for you, such a time saver, less resistance for you. And and it comes up with both dealing with your own emotions and dealing with the emotions of others. Now, what I want to say, I want to come to the fact of resistance, because as far as feeling emotions and managing and kind of looking at the mental health of other people, we resist people's emotions and we resist our own emotions because of the fact that they are uncomfortable. So the resistance is where a lot of the unnecessary wasting of energy comes up. And 
what I have found with specifically working with emotions and the fact that I naturally almost can never just suppress them. I actually have to have to feel them is that when we just allow them to be there without judging them and when we just simply name them and come up with a language for how we're feeling and just don't see the emotion that's coming up as a problem, then there is a such, it's just a speedier way through the emotion. Now, that's a, that could be considered a shortcut or a hack. We all love all these hacks, right? Like I just want to get through it, but sometimes it might not be speedy. It might take some time and there's nothing wrong with that either. Everybody is an individual. Everybody has different ways of thinking about things, but if something comes up for you, like I like to think of emotions and feelings as sort of the truest information of our, our, um, our bodies, like it's truer than our thoughts. And it just is, if something really triggers you, if you get really angry about something, if you're really sad about something, if you have grief about something, if you feel that sensation in your body and can really describe it and just kind of pause for yourself and say, whoa, what's going on for me there? Like that's some really important information for me to know and understand. And what I would like to relate this to is actually physical pain because we don't judge physical pain as in the same way as we judge like mental pain and emotional pain. We are uh, easily say if we have a pain in our knee or a pain in our foot, we can easily stop and say, okay, wait, I've got this pain in my knee or pain in my foot. I'm going to go get it checked out. I'm going to pay attention to it. I'm going to get it looked at. If some, if we tell somebody else that we have a pain in our knee, most often the people, they will provide solutions, but they don't say, well, what's like, what's wrong with you? Just think this way. And then that should, should be better. Like they, they say, okay, yes, you should go get it checked out. You should go get that looked at but we're not so quick to do that with mental or emotional pain. And I'm not sure about you, but your whole body includes your brain and it doesn't just stop from the neck up. Like you you have to take into consideration that your brain and your mental health is a part of your whole body and you're not just cut you're not just cut off at the neck up. So it's all connected. And if our mental health is in a good state and if we have good resources and if we're taking the time to take care of it, then we can really enjoy the rest of our lives much more. Our lives can be more fulfilling or we know we will have the capacity to be able to deal with more things. Not that we want to put more things on ourselves, but we have the, the capacity to deal with more. And then we have the capacity to support our loved ones around us. So another analogy is thinking about your physical health. If you, you know, normally have no issues with using your arms or your legs, and then you have an injury and how that impairs your ability to care for others or to care for yourself, you will definitely get that fixed or looked at. But if you have a mental illness, or if you have issues with your mental health, 
then we immediately judge ourselves for that. And the the mental capacity and mental well-being will also, when looked at and when nurtured and when cared for and compassionately without judgment, that will allow us to be there to support the people that we love. So I truly believe, I'm just repeating myself, the best way to help your teenager's mental health is to help your own and to show them transparently that you have emotions too, that you're a real person and that you have feelings and you don't have to share absolutely everything with your teenager. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying, but when things come up, when you get angry and when you lash out at somebody and then you have the ability to go back and say, okay, wait a second. When I did that, I was just, I was scared in that moment that, that something was going to happen to you, or this is what I'm worried about in this situation when you're going and doing that and bring it back to what it means about you and how you're feeling, as opposed to what it means about what their behavior is and how you think that they might be a a flawed individual. And of course we think it's always all our fault. So that language is very important to share with your people. If you're a leader, if you're a manager, sharing how you're feeling about things is helpful to them to make it an okay space psychologically for them to, like a psychologically safe space for them to be able to bring their emotions to you. And I think we are often afraid about that too. So it is, again, I always like to say these things are transferable skills. So if you learn and work on emotional management and the power of emotions and emotional management in your leadership and the sharing of emotions in your leadership, it is super beneficial to the people who are around you because they then feel safe to share their own emotions. They then know that it's okay to feel a certain way and to bring that out. And that is an instant pressure reliever because you just instantly can exhale and think, okay, it's okay that I feel this way. It doesn't feel great right now, but it's okay that I feel this way and that I know others feel this way as well. So the practical takeaways that I'll give you about this would be, number one, just examine your own emotional life. And when things come up, Look at how you're feeling about it and look at your ability to name the emotion that's going on. And the emotions that we mostly name are very few. Like a lot of times we're just thinking, okay, we're happy, we're sad, we're mad. And so these are kind of the identity, the, the emotions that people will pick. But there's so many other emotions beneath that. And it does help us to have a bit of language around what we're actually feeling like there's, there's grief, there's, there's shame, there's overwhelm, there's hopelessness, there's despair, there's joy, there's calm, there's anxious. And the list goes on and on. There's jealousy. There's, uh, there's so many emotions that we, if we think about, we have the ability to name. And 
when we recognize it and we don't make it wrong because all of these are a part of all of us, then we have the ability to be so compassionate for when we see others feeling these emotions and we have the ability to open that up and and then can, you know, share with other people. Oh, I know that. I know that feeling. I felt that way too in my own life. So just consider that feeling your feelings is definitely not a soft skill. And in fact, it is, it is challenging and difficult work to allow your feelings and allow your emotions precisely because it's uncomfortable. So if people want to argue that, then I will argue with them all day long. It's not easy work and it doesn't happen in an instant, but it's work, uh, work that's well worth doing. And definitely when you're raising your teenagers, it's work that's going to come up. They're going to bring up your stuff if you let them. When they bring stuff to you, you can find your own, uh, let's say, weaknesses in the armor. And that that's not to say you're a weak person, but that's just to say you can see where the places are where you need to look at and work on. And it's beautiful because you can then empower yourself. You can notice, you can begin to trust yourself more as a parent. You you can begin to trust your feelings and your own capacity to deal with your own emotions will increase your capacity to be there for your teenagers when they bring to you their emotional life and their emotional world. And they will be so much more connected with you if you share what's going on with you. So I'm going to end it there. I hope this was helpful. I hope I've made a case or at least convinced you to start thinking about feeling your feelings and allowing your emotions to be and having a language for them around that and not hiding that from your teenagers or from your kids. And so I will leave it at that and I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening. I have something to offer you. And that is a video that I have made to help if you've ever lost it on your teenager. And I made this video because I think this is something that we all struggle with as parents or caregivers of teenagers. We all struggle with it as parents or caregivers of children of any age, really. And I made the video to explain why we do this, what to do if it's happened to you, and just to give you some support with this situation and release the shame and blame of it all. And I hope that you find it so helpful. So how do you get it? If you go to the show notes of the podcast and click the link that says grab your free video here, it will take you to a page to sign up and the the video will be delivered straight to your inbox. So I hope you enjoy it and have a great day.